We've been talking about what happened. I hope you have your notes in front of you. You're eager to fill in the notes. And we've been taking these uh, last few Wednesday nights just going through some of the happenings in the life of Jesus through the Passion Week. Uh, we've been to the cross. And uh, last week uh, we talked about those three days and three nights in the grave. And now we're to the resurrection. We're at an appropriate place because that's exactly what we're pointed to this Sunday. And I believe, God willing, next Wednesday night we'll talk about the ascension. We'll actually leap to that and then uh, we'll probably start some new Wednesday night lessons. But we want to be able to talk a little bit tonight. I can talk to you in a little bit maybe deeper, more meaningful way. I know we'll have guests on Sunday and uh, that may be a little more inspirational, but uh, I know that tonight we can talk about some meatier things concerning the resurrection, and we want to know what it means to our life and, and how that impacts us. I believe that the reason the American church at times does not look much like a New Testament church with its expression of power and miracles and changed lives is because we've not gotten a full revelation, not only on the power of the cross, and we've been there, but we've not probably got a full revelation on the power of the resurrection as well. I know in America, everybody knows the story. I can't imagine someone not knowing the story. Now, I know there are folks that don't know it, but uh, here in the South, it seems like we've done a pretty good job of at least getting the details of the message out. That doesn't necessarily mean everybody's been impacted by it, but, but the details and the familiarity of the story is out there. But even with the details of the story being out there, there is not the level of victory, confidence, the ability to overcome, like the Scripture promises us. And, uh, you know, we need to prevail. We are a prevailing people. Amen. Amen. I'll be the one. I, I'm, I'm going to believe that I'm a prevailing person. Come on, if you don't know what does prevailing mean, it means triumphant, conquering. You are more than conquerors. You are triumph, triumphant in all things. You're an overcomer, Right? Come on, you got to believe that. It all starts with, with believing that that's, what, that's what's been provided for you. You are not a doormat. You are not, you are not uh, uh, just target practice for the enemy. But you have a prevailing spirit inside of you. And so we, we need to prevail uh, over sickness. We need to prevail over disease, over our bondages, over sin. We, we need to be a prevailing people. And unfortunately, though, when we divorce at the same rate as the world divorces, and if we file bankruptcy at the same rate, and if we're at sick at the same rate, and if we're diseased at the same rate, and if, if we do everything at the same rate of the world, then that tells me that something isn't being connected quite like it should be. So, so uh, we're not going to receive you know, a beating or condemnation for that, but we ought to receive a hunger that we would pursue and uh, want to apprehend all that God has for us. And so um, I want to talk about the resurrection because it all stems from the cross and the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, let's read some neat words here. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Paul writes, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now listen to this. And that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve, 
After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. All right, are you, are you reading this? Of whom the greater part remain to the present. In fact, as he's writing to the Corinthians some years later, he says to them that there are still eyewitnesses to the resurrection that are around that can attest to the fact that they saw Jesus with their very own eyes. I'm going to stop here in just for a second. Tonight is not about apologetics and working through how we know the resurrection happened. We could work through the apologetics of the resurrection and how we can have a confidence just based on reason and logic that the resurrection occurred. But Paul is just simply saying to here, I can still, if I had to, cough up eyewitnesses of this event. And while there might be one or two that you could dismiss Maybe that testimony, if there were just one or two. I mean, understand, he said there were 500 people who saw him arisen at one time. Now, I've never had like this, this, you know, this mass, what am, a, a mass illusion that would take place at once. 500 people saw the same, what do they call that in the desert? I can never, my mind never works. Mirage, that's right. Thank you. You should be speaking in my mind. The, this mass mirage, you know, we're not talking about, we're talking 500 people saw him. This isn't, you know, this isn't one or two. This isn't some old guy who needed a new pair of glasses down on a dark street corner. Not only that, it's interesting. I tell people this all the time. They say to themselves, well, that's just, that's what the Bible says. Roman, uh, Roman historian uh, Tacitus, as well as the Jewish historian Josephus, both write in their historical writings that Jesus was risen from the dead. Now, they may couch that in terms of, of testimonials, but the truth of the matter is, as historians, there was no dis disputing of the facts that Jesus rose from the dead. So we, we're not going through, I mean, that might make a great message sometime to go through all the erroneous theories that people have as to how Jesus avoided the resurrection but I'm just stopping and just saying to you that, that there is good foundation that the resurrection is indeed a historical fact. It says, after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Now leap over to verse 12. He says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead uh, do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, or in other words, those who have died, in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So Paul just puts some final remarks out here to the church at Corinth that the resurrection of Jesus was the greatest event that ever took place. Not just because a man was dead and came to life again. Now as, as amazing as that is that a man would die and come to life again, you do understand that even in our modern day, that people die on operating tables and they put those electrodes in there and, the, and they're literally dead, their heart is stopped and they zap them back to life, you know, through that, you know, electrocardio stuff, right? Or what's that called? 
Electro defibrillator, see right there. You all are going to help me with this tonight. The defibrillator. Now, that in and of itself, we could write off and say, wow, that's, that's a great story. But the, the key to it is, is that not just that a dead man was raised, but that as he was raised, he brought something with him to us. That's the difference. When Jesus was raised from the dead, there was something that happened that was significant. Now, Paul said that if Christ is not risen, then there are some ramifications. All right, now this is the part you should be able to begin to fill in the blanks. Paul said that if Christ is not raised, then there are six ramifications. Number one, he said our teaching is futile. Our teaching is futile. Think about this. All that's ever been said, all the stuff that's ever been shared in church, it's all futile. It's useless. It's ineffectual. Um, preachers are nothing but a bunch of hot air. I know there are people that believe that anyway. But your teaching is futile. What we're doing tonight is futile. It's meaningless. It's fairy tale time. He says, if Christ be not raised, everything, it, it, if he's not raised, then all that we have taught you is futile. Number two, he says, our faith is in vain. If Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. There's no possibility of transformation. You understand that it's good that he died for your sins, but the reason the resurrection is important is because as he's taken upon your sins, he raises you up into newness of life. That's what Paul says. The resurrection is about life coming into you, and we'll talk about that hopefully a little bit more before our few minutes are done. Your faith is in vain. There's no chance of miracles, no chance of accessing God, no victory. Number three, he says that if he be not risen, then we are liars. The words that we speak are false. There's no truth here. All that we have shared with you won't work. You've been taken for a ride. You signed up for a scheme. We're liars. He says, if Christ be not raised, number four, we are still in our sins. We're still in our sins. If Christ be not raised, then you and I are in bondage to our senses. We're in bondage to that which is carnal in us. We're bound to our, our limitations, the limitations of our mind, the limitations of our emotions and our feelings. If Christ be not raised, then you understand there's no, there's, there's no miracle power. We're, 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 we're bound to what we smell and feel and taste and hear. You're going to have to learn to just live with your guilt. I can't get you out of guilt. If Christ be not raised, you're, you're, you're saddled with your guilt. We're still in our sins. Number five, if Christ be not raised... Those who have died are gone forever. They're just, they're in the dirt. They're worm food. They're ashes. There's nothing more beyond that moment. They're gone forever. No afterlife. No hope of eternity. No heaven. And then lastly, number six, he says, if Christ be not risen, then we're to be pitied more than anyone else. I've thought about that. Why would, why would we be pitied? It's because actually, if Christ be not raised, we're just a silly group of people. If Christ be not raised, just a silly group of people who just don't get it. We're we're living in a fairy tale. We're 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 living in a story that has no reality. We're deluded. Maybe we're neurotic. Maybe maybe some of us that are even more passionate are psychotic. And so we're to be pitied, he says, if if Christ is not risen from the dead. But Paul went to great lengths to remind us. That the resurrection of Jesus was not a fairy tale. It was not a story. It was not something they created. It was not this, 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 this uh, 
happening that the disciples sort of construed and, and, and were able to bring about and perpetrated a lie now for over 2,000 years. It was not something that was attested to by just a small group of people that decided they were going to perpetrate this lie. But he says here that there were hundreds. Everybody say hundreds. The next time your atheist friend or your skeptic family member looks at you and just kind of blows it off, you look him in the eye and say, there are hundreds of people that saw this with their very own eyes. Not just because Scripture says so, but it's attested to by other by other corroborating evidence, although that's all I need. You know, I don't need the other stuff, but the truth be told, you know, if your mind's blinded and you're full of doubt and unbelief and, and you'll believe a Jewish historian or Roman historians more than you'll believe Scripture, I mean, they're still quoting Scripture. They don't quote Tacitus much anymore. But hundreds of people literally saw him. It was a self-evident fact. You could in those days go to the tomb. You could see the empty tomb. You could hear the testimony of the soldiers. If somebody would have stolen his body, I, I'm telling you, nobody, nobody can keep a secret. Do we understand? Do you understand? Nobody keeps a secret. John Edwards couldn't keep a secret. Bill Clinton couldn't keep his secrets. I'm, are you talking for thousands of years they've kept a secret? There ain't no way we could keep a secret like that. If I got 12 of you and said, come here with me for just a minute, I'm going to tell you a secret, everybody would know it by the time. It would be out of that 12 before we would get home that night. I was talking to my son the other night, Clayton, on, the, on, a, on a cell phone, and I said, I, I got something I bet you hadn't heard yet. And they'd made a pastoral transition at Bethany World Prayer Center uh, Pastor Larry is going to start working with um, the Surge uh, Mission Field, all of his mission churches as well as remnant pastors. And so he's slowly transitioning over to his son, Jonathan. So his son, Jonathan, is going to become the pastor of Bethany World Prayer Center. And I got a special letter that was sent out just, you know, to those in the inner circle. So I called up Clay. I said, Clay, I, I know something I bet you don't know yet. I said, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Larry's handing off uh, the pastoral duties of Bethany World Prayer Center. And he said, Dad, I know. I already know about it. Jonathan's getting it. And I said, how, how could you know that? I was in the inner circle. And he said, Dad, there's such a thing called Twitter. And I, and I said, I said, you know what? The meeting that that was shared in, there were probably 100 tweets that went out just right like that. At that moment. You can't keep a secret. I'm just telling you. There's no way they could have somehow. Somehow. Construed all of this stuff. And manufactured a resurrection. I, I mean. I, I, there's just no way. I mean I could go through all of the arguments. Of what they think may have happened. And I can, I can assure you. The, the biggest one being. This. Most of the disciples. Those early disciples were martyred. Tell me that you would go to the grave on the basis of a lie. If someone put you in boiling oil or if someone was crucifying you upside down or if someone was throwing you to the lions and they looked at you and say, recant your faith and you knew it to be a lie. You'd cough it up just like that. But they didn't. They didn't. It was a self-evident fact. And the Bible tells us that because of the resurrection, because of Christ 
and him being arisen from the dead, he became a first fruit, or he became, you know, the Bible word for fruit, first fruit, I guess you could, you could call it an example. I like to call it prototype. If you have a prototype automobile, it's the first of a number that they're going to manufacture. But you get to see the first. And he was a first fruit, or he was a prototype of what you and I were going uh, to enjoy as we connect to him and as we receive him. In Romans 8.29, it says this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the first fruit among many brethren. And then Peter will go on to say, in 2 Peter 1, if I can get there real quick, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's not underlined in your Bible. You probably need to underline it. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. So literally, we're no longer, this is another great verse that sort of underscores that we're no longer just ordinary people but that we become partakers of the divine nature isn't that an amazing thought when you just kind of sit there and dwell on that for just a moment that i literally i'm not and you're not like those who may not and don't know jesus we become partakers of the divine nature so let's talk about this and let's talk about how we're like our risen lord let's talk a little bit about what that means, and, and I think the last thing I put down there were the three miraculous happenings in this new life. I'm going to spend the last 15 minutes I have with these three miraculous happenings in this new life. Partakers of the divine nature, living with resurrection power inside of us. What does that look like? What are these happenings? Number one, you are recreated into another person. You are recreated into another person. I'm going to make an incredible statement that's backed up by the Bible. But this is what I believe. I believe that Christianity is more than just a spiritual miracle. It is that. But I literally believe there's, there's biology to it. I, I honestly believe there's biology to it. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. I'll just give you, I'll just give you my, uh, my testimony real super fast one more time. You remember me telling you how 18 years old, living for the devil, had to go to church with a girl I was dating, went to church hard-hearted. They weren't going to get me to an altar. They weren't going to get me to make a decision. They weren't going to get me to move. Well, you know what? They couldn't make me move. But how many of you know the Holy Spirit can make you do a lot of things? <laughs> and he was working on me till the day finally came. Conviction set in deeply. I mean, it was, it was, it was a physical, we, we didn't really probably believe much in those circles about physical manifestations, but I can remember, I can remember that night as if it were tonight, that there was literally, I mean, I mean, no offense, but it was literally like I'd had Alzheimer's. There was, there was a manifestation. Can I just share this with you? That's, that's, that's more than spiritual. That's biological. Something's happening. 
and I'm dealing with God, and I finally make the deal. I'll go down front, not going to cry. I get down there, get on my knees, the mourner's bench, fall over it, two nostril alert. That's biological. You're following me? That's just not spiritual happening. That's a, that's a biological repercussion. Youth pastor kneels down beside me. He leads me through the Roman road to salvation. I prayed the prayer. I, I probably prayed very familiar words that we've all heard maybe a thousand times. But that night, they were my words to say. And something happened at that moment. I'll never forget. I prayed that prayer. You know, we were back in the old holiness church. And those of you that, if you've never been to a holiness church, I know Wally, in our last leadership meeting, he was talking about him going to the sanctified holiness church. You hear, where's Wally at? You hear? Wally, I bet they did that there. You gather at that mourner's bench, that knee, and they'd all gather around you. You, ain't, you weren't going anywhere. If you had any inkling of leaving, you weren't going because they'd circle in around, they'd circle in this side and they'd come around the other side of the altar and they'd circle around this side and they just circle, they circle the wagons. That's what it was, they would. Miss Louise, have you seen that? And those old altars? And then they'd start, this is what they'd do. I, I won't do it to you. I could do it to Scott, he's a big guy, but I won't do it to Scott. But they'd get there and they'd go, pray through. they just start yelling at you and you just, and some of them would be going, let go. And then the other ones would be going, hold on. <laughs> I know those of you that didn't grow up in that stuff, you're just, you can't even imagine that. But that's what I grew, that's, that's where I met Jesus. In the midst of that kind of, and, and I remember that night, I got up, I just, I did, you know, I don't know, what I'm just raw. I mean, you get, you get the refined 33-year version. But that night, I only had a few seconds under my belt. Raw. And I didn't know what happened. I cleaned it because I, you know, I had snot. I had... And there was a sweet old lady. I hate to call her old, but she, she probably wasn't that old at the time. I was 18, so everybody looked old. You know, that she could have been 40 years old for all I know. Now that I'm now that I'm 51, that's not old anymore. But but this is what I'll never forget what she said. And and she she she'd seen me for these last months attending there, and she looked and she said this, and I believe she wasn't just saying it. I believe she meant it, and and I believe it to be true. And later I went home and even looked in a mirror and would corroborate it. But she said, "Your countenance and your face looks different." So why did I tell you that? This isn't just spiritual. There was something biological going on. I believe that. God just got inside you. See, we don't preach this anymore. We preach, come down and make a decision and he looks at you different. Well, that's a part. That's a part of imputation. I get the, I get the doctor, but we don't preach this that God jumps inside of you at that moment and what does he do when he jumps inside of you well I'll, I'll give you that one in just a moment i'll give you number two right now although i'm not done with number one but this will be number two you can just go ahead and write it in so that if you got an itchy pen you'll but, but what does he do he releases god life in us god life you have god life inside of you 
You know, you can't have God life inside of you and walk away the same. Can you? Think about Just stop for a minute and think about that. Can you have the life of God poured into you, resurrection power poured into you, and you all just walk away and you're just the same person? I don't think so. I just don't think so. I believe you are recreated into another person. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and if you don't have that one underlined, these are just good old verses to underline, where it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That word new, I'm going to read it right here. This is in this Bible. I've got a little word wealth here, and I'll just read it for you because it does a good job with it. Kanos being the Greek, it says... This word means new in regard to form or quality rather than new in reference to time. So in other words, he says you are a new, you're a new form. Now, isn't that amazing? Now, the reason we need to just dwell on this and preach this again, it's because God literally changes who we are. I mean, it's something biological is going on. If you were, if you were an old swearing, cussing, boozing, carousing, crazy. Suddenly when you say, you know, you may because of practice lose some words that were blasphemous, but can I just tell you this? I remember when I walked, you said, did you did you ever cuss? Yeah, I cussed. But the minute I cussed, it was like all of a sudden I'd say the, I, I cuss. Oop. Oop. Before you cuss and you could care less. You'd cuss anyone out. You cussed that didn't even know you were cussing. Just, and all of a sudden, it'd come out and you go, oops. And I hadn't even had the Sunday school class on cussing yet. I hadn't had the Sunday school class where we weren't supposed to cuss. Well, how did I know not to cuss? God. He's in there and he goes, you just blaspheme this person that's in you. You're following me. Now, I, the reason we teach this is because I believe that by teaching and confession and by declaration, change happens. And, and you'll begin to pursue. That's why I believe that, that the day we're living in, I believe that there are people, unregenerate, uh, even backslidden people. The scripture says that the gifts of God are without repentance. So you can be in sin and you can still be functioning in a gift that God gave you. Supernaturally even. Isn't that scary? That you might not be right with God, but the gift is still working in you. But there's a difference between gifts and glory. And I believe that, that God's presence is His glory. And that's what He's ultimately wanting us to live in and function in and move in is the glory of God. We have lots of gifts happening in the church but there's no transformation when the glory comes back then we'll begin to see transformation and change again that's what i'm believing for they don't need to see a sideshow they don't need to see this you know like we're this we're a circus ole or whatever that's called you know what that's called it's a circus ole soleil circus ole i just thought it was circus ole i thought it was spanish maybe i don't know 
Anyway, you were created into another person. Number two, I've already mentioned this. You've got God life working in you. God life. John 10.10 says that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The life of God is released in you. Romans 6, 5. I just, I'm just reading some things, just kind of sewing some things into you. It says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, meaning Jesus' death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So Paul is saying right here, he's saying that, that the resurrection power that Jesus experienced and received, he says that we can receive and function in that likeness. Romans 8.11 says something similar. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to what? Your mortal body. He didn't say he's going to give life to your dead body. Now, I believe that there's going to be a great resurrection day. And those of us, if if Jesus tarries and, and we go through the normal cadence of life, and, and all of us in this room, if we go through life, we live a good long life, comes time for us to die, we die in Christ, I do believe that there will come a day that, that our bodies will be raised, they will be glorified, and there's going to be a great resurrection day. I believe that and I teach that. But what this verse says here is not concerning that day. It says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus dwells in you, that he who raised Christ from the dead will give life, God life, Zoe life, That's God-type life. He'll put that in your mortal body. They say, well, pastor, is that going on in you? Well, some days, yes, and some days it doesn't seem like it. You say, well, then isn't that just a bit inconsistent or hypocritical to just say that and, and teach us and leave us with the idea that this is easy or whatever? Hey, we're pursuers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I understand. I, I mean, believe me, I'm, I'm filled with hopefully less inconsistencies than I was 33 years ago. I believe that to be true. I believe I've been conformed more into his image more and more and more and more through the years. Praise God. But the fact of the matter is, is that we've got to get back to the place where we've got a revelation that God is inside of me. He lives here. And then lastly, number three, just write this one. About three miraculous happenings in your life. You have received the spirit of a conqueror. The spirit of a conqueror. God is in you. You are a part of a new order that's called the born again. Do you understand? You were born once, like everyone was into the same predicament everybody lives in, but now you've been born again. And now that you're born again, you are born into a different state than everyone else is in. Are you following me? That's why you need to be born again. And when you're born again, what that means is just as when you came out of your mother's womb and everybody oohed and odd over you as a baby, they'd never seen you before, they didn't know all your facial features, they hadn't counted your fingers and your toes, they didn't look at your nose to decide who you look like. And can I just say that when you hold up a baby and mom starts saying, who do you think he looks like? I say, it looks like a big wrinkled mess. That's what it looks like to me. I don't know if he has your nose or the husband. I don't know. I mean, I can't tell. I'm just being honest. 
You tell me who he or she looks like and I'll just go, you're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. But understand, it's, it's something brand new. You were born. You were brand new. Listen, now you are born again. Something that has never existed before. What does that mean? It means that now you have access to God's ability. You're unstoppable because he's unstoppable. You're in league with angels. You have the backing of the kingdom. Nothing is impossible, the scripture says, with him. Paul said, if God be for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. There is nothing that man, the world, or Satan can throw at me that my shield of faith cannot extinguish. I have the backing of the Supreme Court of the universe. I am a different person. There's no room in me for defeat. You may take me out for a moment, but because he was out for a moment, but made a comeback and was raised from the dead, I may be out for a moment, but you can count on this. The second act is coming. That's your life too. You may be down, but you're not out. They may seal up a tomb over your future but god is real good about rolling away stone <laughs> and an incredible revelation hit me just as i was thinking about all of this is that is that christ did not arise in the midst of perfect circumstances he arose in the midst of his enemies he came back in power at the very place they tried to bury him can I just, this is a word for some of you. The enemy has tried to bury you at a place, and I'm telling you, God's going to raise you up at the very place that they tried to bury you. And maybe that's what he meant, that, they, that he prepares the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Some of you have been buried by those thinking they could Get rid of you. They could avoid you. I prophesy to you, God wants to bring you back in power. Now, I don't know that I thought about it at the moment. I probably didn't. I'm grateful that sometimes, even when we're not thinking about it, God just does things because we just, we want to be obedient and we want to please him. But I'll just share this with you. I remember the day as if, again, you just have certain days that are marked on your internal calendar that you never forget. And I'll never forget the day that that that. God and I had a little discussion. And more than anything, I hated this city. I hated this town. I hated Charleston, South Carolina. Can I just tell you that? I'll just be honest with you. In September of 2002, I was ready. I was not, I was not only ready to dust the, you know, take the dust off your shoes. I, I was ready to, I was ready to throw the shoe. I hated, I hated driving into this town. I hated it. And when you're hurt and you're wounded and you're, you're mad and you're angry and you face injustice and unfairness and everybody in this room has faced it. I am no different than you. We've all faced those moments. But the one thing I'm just, I'm glad. I'm glad of this, that I had enough sense to know at least at that moment with everything else raging around that I had a sense enough to at least say, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere until God says go. 
I'm not doing anything until God says, this is what you do. And I had enough sense at that moment just to hold firm until I got a hold of my God again. And this is the part that's not just my good news, it's your good news. But at the very place they tried to bury you, he will raise you. He will raise you. And I say amen to that. Amen to that. The very place. That's a word for some of you in here. Very place they tried to bury you. If you'll, if you'll let that God life into you, if you'll get the revelation again that resurrection power is inside of you, God will raise you where they tried to bury you. Whew. Amen. I still got about another 30 minutes of preaching me, but I'll stop right there. You just come on Sunday. It's going to be good Sunday. You can't, you can't help but get happy on Resurrection Sunday. Stand with me, will you please?